This morning we are going to consider a very familiar passage of Scripture known by many as the Lord's Prayer. And you can be turning there, Matthew 6, or at least put your finger there. We'll read a passage before we get there. It's a passage that deals with one of the most essential and basic elements of the Christian experience, and that is what we just did, prayer. Why do we pray? How do we pray? What is the benefit of prayer? And all of these things, we find instruction in Scripture concerning our prayer life and just how essential prayer is in the life of the believer, not only corporately, as we did this morning, but personally and privately. The Apostle Paul, the, the, the apostle of this church age, he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.8, if you want to turn there or at least jot it down. But in 1 Timothy 2.8, again, we want to understand the scriptural foundation for the things that we believe. Why do we believe what we believe? It's because the scripture, the Bible, tells us this is the revealed will of God. And so in 1 Timothy 2.8, the apostle Paul wrote, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. We can look at those specifics maybe a little bit later but this is why we pray. This is why we lift up our hands. Why, what is the point of that? Well, we're told specifically to, to do so. It's an acknowledgment of several things. It's a, an acknowledgment of our full surrender to the Lord. It's an acknowledgment of our vulnerability, that we are nothing apart from him, and we simply acknowledge that he is God and there is none other. But let's go to Matthew 6, and we'll read this portion of scripture that has come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. However, it would probably be better for us to consider this as the Lord's example of how to pray. In this prayer, he gives all the basic elements that should be included in our prayers, but it was never intended just to repeat in some formal, cold, ritual way. Now, there's nothing wrong with repeating and praying this prayer yourself, as long as it comes from a genuine heart that this is an expression of your desires and of your acknowledgement of God. But just to repeat it, as so many do, in just a ritualistic way, thinking God's going to hear you because you've repeated this prayer, that is a trick of the enemy. That's not faith. That's religion. But religion does not impress God. Only faith does. But in this example that Jesus gives of how to pray, as we will notice, he first starts out by telling us how important our attitude is before we ever start praying. What is our thought? Why are we praying? To whom are we praying? And then secondly, he gives us certain elements, basic elements of how we are to petition our Father, God, how we are to petition him for our every need. But we are to use our own words. These elements that should be included in our, in our prayers, as Jesus expresses them here in, in his words, but we are to express these same things, these th same needs, these same desires, but in our own words, just as a child would express in their understanding of their needs and their situation, just as a child would express that to their parent. 
And so let's read Matthew 6, beginning at verse 5. Jesus says here in Matthew 6 and beginning at verse 5, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. And he's talking about religious people here. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. That's what they wanted. They wanted to be seen and noticed by men. And so they got what they wanted. But you, Jesus says, followers of Christ, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Others will see the effects of your prayers because he will answer those prayers with protection and provision and guidance and wisdom. Pray in secret, but the reward, the benefits of prayer will be seen publicly. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of, before you ask him. In this manner, therefore pray. So clearly, Jesus is presenting an, an example of how to pray. Pray in this manner. He doesn't say repeat these words over and over. In this way, with these elements. And he starts out, Our Father in heaven, hallowed, that is sanctified, set apart, be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, we're going to take our time to go through this passage. I don't know if we'll get through it all this morning. But this is such an important part of our Christian walk, prayer, how to pray, why we pray, to whom we pray. This prayer was never meant to be repeated word for word in a cold ceremonial way. And yet it has become that for many when whenever someone's in trouble, they just begin to pray the Lord's Prayer. Again, in and of itself, if that's truly an expression of your heart, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you think just because you repeat these words that God has to hear you, now you have a problem. Again, that's not faith. That's religion. That's ritual. And that does not move the heart of God. In verses 5 through 8 of this passage, Jesus starts out with our attitude toward prayer. Jesus condemns two religious concepts of the practice of prayer. There are many people that practice prayer, both within Christendom and also in other religions. The Muslims also pray. But Jesus condemns two attitudes of the religious. The first is to use prayer to draw attention to yourself. Don't be like those hypocrites that try to impress people with their spirituality because they pray in public. That's not what prayer is for. It's not to draw attention to yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that God has anything against public prayer. In fact, as we read the scripture and we see the experience of the new church, 
public prayer is encouraged as we do when we come together. Nothing wrong with public prayer. But if it's to draw attention to yourself rather than to bring glory to God and to minister to the needs and to present the needs of the congregation, then once again, you've gone to an extreme that is not faith. It's just religion. You have your, your reward. If you want to impress people with your, with your prayer, fine. That's what, and, you're, and people are impressed. You got what you want. You didn't get the answer to your prayers. God didn't hear those prayers, but you got what you wanted. But when we pray publicly for to point our attention to God and for to present the needs of the body of Christ, God hears those prayers. And we can look at that maybe in another le- uh, lesson. But in Luke 18, let's go there where we see an example of one who prayed to try to impress others with their spirituality publicly. Luke 18, 9 to 12. There's a phrase here that is somewhat humorous, but it's also quite exact. Luke 18, 9. Also he, Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. So they thought they were more spiritual than everybody else. He's talking about those Jewish leaders that like to show themselves publicly to be more spiritual than everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Tax collectors in the society of Israel, they were the lowest of the lows. They were cheats. They were traitors to the nation of Israel because they sided with the Romans and collected the Roman tax, and then they collected more than they should have. Tax collectors were considered the lowest of sinners. So we have a Pharisee who was considered the highest of religion. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. <laughs> That's the phrase that always always makes me chuckle a little bit. He thought he was praying to God, but he was only praying to himself. God didn't hear this prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector, and even pointed over to him. And <laughs> I'm not like him, thank God. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. This is an example of one of those hypocrites who prayed to impress people with their spirituality. You can read the rest of the context where you see that the, that the tax collector acknowledged his sinfulness, humbled himself, and cried out to God, not to others, not to himself, but to God, for that forgiveness and that grace that only comes from God. The prayer that God hears and answers is different than someone who is trying to press others with their words, with their prayer. He says, go to your closet, go to your private room where no one else knows or hears what you're saying. Now, why would anybody go to a room, close the door and start talking when there's nobody else in the room visibly? They're either, well, they, they have some mental instability, which some people think of us. Or they believe that someone is there, someone is listening, and therefore they speak. Now, it doesn't always have to be audibly, but I think it is a good practice for us in our prayer, private prayer life, to pray audibly. Again, it's, it's not a requirement, and there are many times when you are in public and you need that urgent prayer, it is best within your heart to pray without 
words, but in private. It's an expression of your faith. I know someone's here listening. I'm not crazy. I know my father hears me. So go into your closet privately and present your petitions. And and this example of prayer is an example of a petitioning prayer when you're asking things from God. And so you go privately. Your, your personal private prayer life is essential for your spiritual health. And if you fail to pray, then you're going to be weak spiritually. And so this is how fundamental prayer is in the life of the believer. When you pray in private, when nobody else hears or knows, others will see the results of your prayers by the fact that God answers. He gives direction. He gives protection. He gives wisdom. He provides for your every need. So the the benefits of prayer will be publicly seen, but your prayer life is private. It's between you and your Father. Psalm 34, 15. I'll read a couple of Psalms here quickly. Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. I'm not talking to the wall. Jehovah is watching. He's listening. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as of a contrite, a broken spirit. He's near me. I'm not alone when I pray. And so I should pray with that kind of confidence, that kind of boldness. And that will also lead to just audibly expressing the things that we need to express to our Father. Another religious practice that Jesus condemns is that of vain repetition. Now, when Jesus says don't pray with vain repetitions, he's not prohibiting long prayers. In fact, Jesus at times prayed all night long. So that's not the prohibition here. Nor is he forbidding the, the, the repetition of certain words or phrases. If you want to go, well, jot down Matthew 26 and verse 39, where Jesus himself repeated three times, his petition to the Father, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He repeated that three times. So clearly, Jesus isn't pro- prohibiting that we repeat petitions or words or praise in the course of our prayers. What is forbidden is that superstitious repeating of prayers or phrases in order to merit God's blessing. And of course, the clearest example of this is, is, is both Muslims and Catholics use rosary beads, prayer beads. Other, other religions use prayer beads, where there's a set of prayers that you memorize and that you repeat over and over and over again. Why do they do that? In hopes of wearing God down. That's why the heathen did it, in hopes that they would finally wear their God down because he just gets tired of the repetition. Jesus says, God already knows what you need. You're his child. He's your father. You don't have to try to wear him out to get what you need. You just come in faith and ask him. So that's, that's the prohibition here, that ritualistic repetition of phrases and prayers just to try to wear God down and earn his blessing. It's not necessary for a child of God. 
He'll meet your needs because he loves you. Matthew 7, 7 to 11. Let's read that so we can have this kind of confidence when we pray to God. Again, it's not a prohibition. Don't, don't. Matthew chapter 7 and verses 7 to 11. This is not a prohibition of don't, don't be overly conscious. Oh, I said that already. I can't say that again. <laughs> no, that's, that's not the prohibition. It's just that ritualistic repetition to try to earn God's blessing. It's not necessary. You're a child of God. He's your father. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Another place he says, you have not because you ask not. (laughs) That's why you need to pray. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. In fact, talking about repetition here, these verbs should actually be in the gerund form. In other words, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, knowing that you have no other recourse but your Father. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's the simplicity of prayer. That's the power of prayer. You just come as a child to your father and express in your own words what you need. He already knows. If he knows, then why, why do we need to ask him? It's an expression of our faith to acknowledge we are nothing apart from you. We need you. We come to you. So let's look at Jesus' prayer phrase by phrase and see the elements that our prayers should include in our own words. Those of there have been many over the years that said, well, I don't know how to pray. I, I can't pray. And they hear someone who prays. And, and I believe that there are those among God's people that have the gift of public prayer. That's from God. But not everybody has that. And so some hear those who have that gift and, man, I wish I could pray like brother or sister so-and-so. And the enemy keeps you from praying. Well, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. Well, can you talk? Do you talk to other people? Just talk to your father in your own words, in your own way. I've heard some, some people pray, and, and it's, it, some would consider it, oh, well, that, that's awful simple. If it comes from a heart of faith, it pleases the Heavenly Father. You can't impress him with your vocabulary. <laughs> He's the creator of heaven and earth. You're not going to impress him with anything except for your total dependence and trust on him. Faith is what moves the heart of God. So Jesus starts this prayer out with our Father, our Father. It's directed to God the Father. It's not directed, now we're talking about petitioning prayer. It's not directed to Jesus. It's not directed to the Holy Spirit. Our petition is directed to the Father. Now praise, all through Scripture, is directed directly at the Father and the Son. You can praise Jesus directly and should. But when there's a petition, we go to the Father. We'll find out some other elements of that in the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps us pray according to the will of God. But we pray directly to the Father. Acts 2.21, since 
prayer is directed to the Father, it must be coming from a child, from a son. In other words, answered prayer is only for Christians. You hear a lot of unsaved people talk about they prayed this or prayed that. The only prayer that God has promised to answer. Now, I I never say God doesn't answer any prayer of an unbeliever or even of a carnal Christian. God will answer what he wants to bring about his glory. So I'm not saying that God doesn't answer other prayers, but the only prayers he has promised to answer is that of his children. And then we'll see that there's even a refinement of that. But let's go to Acts 2.21. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll answer that prayer every time. Any, the vilest of sinners can pray this prayer. Call upon the Lord for forgiveness, for salvation. God promises to hear that prayer, even of the sinner, especially of the sinner. But otherwise, prayer is for his children. John chapter 1 and verse 12. John 1, 12. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So now, Those that accept Jesus as their Savior, they have the right, they've been given the authority to come into the presence of God and call Him Father. But when we go to 1 John 3 and verses 19 to 22, we see that even for His children, the promise of answered prayer is for those who desire to walk in the will of God. Now, once again, I'm not saying that God won't answer the prayer of a carnal Christian. In fact, I've seen him do it time and time again. But the promise of answered prayer is for the the child of God who desires to do the will of God. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that prayer is for perfect Christians. Because if prayer was only promised, answered prayer was only promised to those who were without sin or failures as a Christian, then nobody would have answered prayer. You don't have to wait until you're a perfect Christian because in this life, no one will reach sinless perfection. But the requirement is, I want to do the will of my Father. When you fall short of that, you come before him in repentance. He hears that prayer. But when we stubbornly continue to walk on our own way, rejecting the will of God, your father hasn't promised to answer that. Well, let's, let's read 1 John three nineteen, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. The Holy Spirit's faithful to point areas in our life where we are walking contrary to his will. And then our heart condemns us. You're not, you're not pleasing your father. For if our heart condemns us, God's greater than our heart. He knows. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Confidence for what? And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing to him. It's not talking about the Ten Commandments here. It's talking about his instructions for his children that are found in the New Testament those commandments of grace and wisdom. When you know, when the Holy Spirit convicts you that something in your life is contrary to the will of your Father and you ignore it, God is under no obligation to answer your prayer. 
Again, you don't need to be perfect because none of us are. But do you genuinely want to please your father? And when you fall short of that, that desire to want to please him will lead you back to a path of righteousness, to doing what's right in your father's sight because you love him. Obedience to the will of God does not cause you to merit answered prayer. There's a distinction here. Well, I'm so good, God has to answer my prayers. (laughs) No. But living in the will of God puts you in a position where you can benefit from God's blessing, his fullest blessing in your life. An example is a child can have parents that love him and provide for him everything that child needs. The home and the backyard can be filled with all kinds of gifts for his pleasure, for his enjoyment, for his protection, for his safety, and for his health. Because the parents love him, all that provision is there in that home and in that backyard that that they've prepared, provided for him. But if that child decides to run away, he doesn't quit being a child of those parents. His parents don't stop loving him. But he has removed himself from a, from a place where he can benefit from their love. And the same is true with a child of God who chooses to walk in disobedience to God's loving instruction. Stay in the will of God. When you stray from the will of God, let that desire, I really want to please my father. Let that draw you back to his will. But don't continue in your stubbornness to walk away from God because you lose that that precious, valuable promise of answered prayer in the will of God. As a child, he's our father, our father. As a child, we have the right to come to our father. And if we go somewhere else seeking what we need first, how how would you feel as a parent if your child went down the street to your neighbor to say, you know, I, I need to eat three meals a day over here. I need you to provide clothes for me. Wouldn't you be a little embarrassed as a parent if your child ran down the streets for somewhere somewhere else for help, for what they needed? How do you think God feels when his children fail to call upon him? Now, don't misunderstand me. God, when you call upon him, he may lead you to other human instruments to help fulfill your needs. Absolutely. He often does. He'll give you wisdom and direction where to seek the help that you need, whether it be physical or emotional or any other way. But go to him first. Look to him for that direction, and he'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll provide what you need. He's your father. Go to him first and foremost, and then let him lead you in the directions that he may lead you. John fourteen thirteen and 14. This is the only phrase we'll get to this morning because I don't want to rush through these because it's so essential that we know how to pray and why we pray, to whom we pray. So we direct our petitions to the Father, our Father. But then in John 14, verses 13 and 14, we see another important element of that. And whatever you ask, this is Jesus speaking here in John 14, 13 and 14. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, Jesus said, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So we ask the Father, but we come in the the merit of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus is given the responsibility to see to it 
that the Father's will and the Father's answer to our petition is given. John sixteen twenty three, John chapter 16, verse 23. Jesus says, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So Jesus is responsible to execute the answered prayer. We don't come in our own merit, but we come in the merit of the shed blood of Jesus Christ who made us a child of God, who made us a son. Jesus is that mediator between God and man. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. This is the confidence and the boldness I can have when I pray to God, the creator of heaven and earth, the almighty God. I have complete confidence I can come into his room and call him father, just like the child of a, of a very important king or president or whoever else you want to think of that has everybody has to show him great respect and nobody can just come into the room without an invitation and without a, an appointment. But a child of that, that uh, powerful man, he just walk in any time. That's my dad. That's the kind of confidence I have when I pray to God. Hebrews four fifteen and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because Jesus is that mediator, because we come in Jesus' name, because we come in his merit, let us therefore come boldly, that is with confidence, to the throne of grace. Favor, not judgment, not condemnation, but favor that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What a privilege we have to pray to God and call him Father. I come boldly because I know he's going to accept me, because I'm accepted in the beloved. Lastly, we see the work of the Holy Spirit in this promise of answered prayer. Pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit also has a part in our prayer life, Romans 8. 26 and 27. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our, in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. You ever have that, that prayer block? You know you should pray. You don't really know how to pray. You don't know what to pray for. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we should always pray according to the will of God if he's going to hear us. So we see that the Holy Spirit prompts us to pray. Even when you don't know how to pray, when you don't feel like praying, take time to pray. There have been times when I've been so distraught over a circumstance or a situation where I just knelt down to pray, and I, I couldn't even express what I needed to express. I was so overwhelmed with sadness, with an urgency, and I didn't even know how to pray. And there have been times when I would just simply weep in the presence of the Lord and literally groan in my grief and in my sadness. And yet when I left that time of prayer, I felt that the Lord had heard my heart that the Holy Spirit had expressed what I could not express, presented it to God the Father, and Jesus, my high priest, my intercessor, was now in charge of delivering to me what I needed, peace that passes understanding. 
joy unspeakable in the midst of my sorrow. The Lord was faithful to answer that prayer. Don't let the enemy tell you, you you don't know how to pray. Cry out to your Father, our Father, my Father. Lord willing, next week we'll continue. Where's our Father? Who is our Father? Which is in heaven. Let's have a song in closing.